What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui. I'm here with Zach Rizzuto. In this episode, we're going to talk about a bunch of players that we were high on initially, maybe at the start of the, of, of the offseason, you know, kind of in the beginning of the offseason that we're not so high on anymore. Guys who were not really taking in drafts at this point, uh, you know, in early August, in early training camp. Uh, and we also talk about guys that we might not have been high on early on in the offseason, but now we find ourselves excited about uh, taking in drafts, you know, a lot more now than we were early on in the offseason. And, and it doesn't really, it doesn't always have to do with price. So, so we'll talk about all of that. Uh, but Zach, what's up, dude? Let's get right into the rapid recap. We have a lot going on, obviously, in training camp. So let's get right into it. Can Baker Mayfield provide any more fantasy value besides being a streaming option, maybe, for QB needy teams in 2022? Maybe. I, I don't think he'll be any more than a streaming option, but you never know. Like, the argument for Baker, for Baker, like, for him to be a fantasy option is that he was stuck in a run-heavy system. And, you know, we have no idea if Kevin Stefanski is a coach who can put a quarterback in positions to succeed. Now, I think it was pretty obvious, like, last year, the year before, that Baker did leave a lot of opportunities on the field, right? Especially right. going deep. So, you know, he ha he does have a lot of the blame on his shoulders. Uh, you know, a lot of the lack of passing success, you know, should be attributed to him, a lot of it, right? Uh, but can he be a good play with volume? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he does have, you know, a few good weapons, you know, in DJ Moore, uh, Christian McCaffrey, right? Uh, Robbie Anderson right. seems very excited to play with him now. Like, you know, we, we've seen some plays in camp between Baker and Robbie, and uh, that's quite the 180 from his original yeah. Instagram comment when Baker, you know, coming over was just a rumor. Like, I think I saw yesterday Robbie Anderson just tweeted like, hey, man, I'm ready for week one. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, right. it's just like, dude, like, it's, it's, it's too funny, man. Uh, I love it. What do you think? You think there's any way that, Baker can can be more than just a streaming option, if that. I don't really think we have to look any further than Mayfield's production with the Browns to kind of get an idea of what kind of fantasy value he'll hold as a starter in Carolina, and if that's if he's ultimately the starter. We're talking about a guy that can manage the game, you know, he can manage the offense, but he doesn't really have any upside whatsoever. Even with DJ Moore around, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, Mayfield's exactly the quarterback that he was with the Browns he's just on the Panthers now and he's exactly what the Panthers have dealt with at QB for the past few seasons and none of those quarterbacks were ever anything more than streamers either the Panthers as a team overall will be better but Mayfield should have the same value with the Panthers as he did with the Browns I think he's still a streaming option for me I'm not really bumping him up that much I think you can bump guys like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson up a little bit just because they might be enjoying the best quarterback play not that Baker Mayfield's you know all-world talent they might be enjoying the best quarterback play they've had in recent history, the past two, three years. But um, I'm still leaving more out of my top 15 as things stand today. And we have to see about Robbie Anderson. You know, he's been obviously 180, like you said. We're not sure uh, how they're going to click, if they're going to click. I think he's going to outperform his ADP. But I, I don't think Baker Mayfield is really going to be any more valuable than he was last year. Uh, next up on a report, we have Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, he's reportedly been making some noise at the camp so at the Chiefs camp so far, taking snaps with the first team offense, even running some routes out of the slot. Can Pacheco be a day one fantasy contributor in a crowded backfield that features Clyde Edwards Alaire, Ronald Jones, and Jarek McKinnon? Uh, yeah. The depth chart is crowded, 
but the rotation might not be so crowded, right? Like it's possible that this is a two-man rotation. You know, an early down guy like CEH right. maybe, uh, a receiving option like McKinnon to handle the passing downs. Or you have a guy like Pacheco who is getting work, you know, in both phases of the game. And, and like you said, working out of the slot a little bit. Uh, he does have good size, you know, for the position, unlike Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, and he can potentially have a role, you know, all over the place, right? In the backfield, uh, the pass game, got some carries. Andy Reid talking about there's no doubt that I know that Pacheco is going to be running hard. So, and when you look at Ronald Jones, it doesn't seem like Ronald Jones uh, is getting much of an opportunity right now. You know, not really working in with the ones. Uh, CEH is working with the yeah. ones, like we mentioned last week. Uh, McKinnon's working with the ones, and Pacheco is working with the ones. So, and there's only one back out of this group who has been impressive and who's been standing out, and that's been Pacheco. So, would it be wise to take a shot on him later in drafts? Yeah, I think so. Because... If he can carve a role out in both phases of the game, like something we haven't seen in an Andy Reid offense, you know, since Kareem Hunt, right? Jamal Charles, LaShawn McCoy, right. Brian Westbrook, Priest Holmes, even Damian Williams a couple years ago when he got the opportunity uh, in the playoffs, right? Um, so, you right. know, just take the shots on these type of guys in this offense, right? CEH, he hasn't been explosive. You know, you can't say the same thing about Pacheco because Pacheco in camp has been doing his thing and showing his explosiveness. Uh, CEH had a couple years to, to show what he got, and he hasn't done his thing, right? So there can be opportunity here. You know, remember, Andy Reid has played guys like Dow Williams, who in my opinion is a jag. You know, he's played guys like Damian Williams over, over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's played Jerry McKinnon over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So, like, listen, it doesn't take much. You know, and I understand that a lot of those times Edwards Lair has been banged up or whatever, but he's been active for a bunch of those games too. Okay, so um, right. if you can add some explosiveness, some young explosiveness with good size, like you could be looking at a diamond in a rough. And I know that every year it seems like we might be looking at a Chiefs running back as someone to take a shot on. Um, right. But these are the type of shots that you want to take. Just because it didn't work out last year doesn't mean it won't work out this year, right? Uh, so we're hearing the, we're hearing the buzz. He has good size. Uh, and he's somebody, and he's going to be involved. He could potentially be involved in both phases of the game. So yeah, you should take a shot on him. Right. I'm not sure he could be a day one fantasy contributor. I think it's a little too crowded for that. Um, this is really a backfield I'm avoiding overall. I mean, I'm I like to go zero running back. I don't like this backfield at all. We've heard good things about Pacheco and Rashad White. We've heard good and bad things about Jones, Ceh. All four of them, you know, all their chief running backs. They're plenty capable, and they can serve the role that the Chiefs' offense needs them to. But I anticipate the primary fantasy contributors to be McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And the reason I say it is McKinnon actually looked really good, in my opinion, in the playoff games last year. I think he's going to be the receiving guy to start. I think that Pacheco could unseat him. I don't think McKinnon's like this talent that they're going to hold on to. You know, like we're going to start him over Pacheco just because we have him. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, but for me, none of these running backs are really worth the headache in such a crowded backfield. I think it's going to be difficult for Pacheco to make headway with four other quality players around him. I don't think they're, you know, like I said, dominant backs, but they'll have snaps. They'll all get their snaps on the field. And especially since the Chiefs seem intent to use him in the return game, I think that might be a really strong factor contributing to why he's going to even make the roster. I'm not saying that he's not going to be featured in the offense, but I think this is kind of the last hurrah for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and then I think we could see Pacheco more next year if he comes on this year. But this year, especially, like I said, with the question being like a day one fantasy contributor, 
I'm not so sure I see that. Yeah, I hear that. Now, you call it a crowded backfield. I call it an ambig- ambiguous backfield, right? And and if you know me, I like to target ambiguous backfields, right? And sometimes when you go with the cheapest right. option and those are the guys who have a chance to rise to the top of the depth chart, I'm going to attack that every time. Um, it's why I like Chase Edmonds going so late, right? It's why I like guys like Pacheco right. going really late, Um especially on an offense that could you know, really have some serious value. And if it's a good offense, if it's a ambiguous backfield on a good offense, I, I do like to attack those sometimes when uh, I could get it back you know, for cheap in the teen rounds. Yeah. So here's one. The storyline we've been speculating about somewhat in recent episodes has actually come to fruition with Kareem Hunt requesting a trade and ultimately being refused by the Browns front office. With new tensions between the Browns and Kareem Hunt, what should fancy owners expect from him if he stays in Cleveland? And then what if he does get traded? What's an ideal landing spot for him if he does end up on the move? So I think this is an added reason to draft Kareem Hunt. I, I know that they, they denied the trade, but, you know, there mm-hmm. is obviously, you know, a little bit of tension here now, and, and it could definitely happen. Um, you know, he was already somewhat valuable in Cleveland, right? Like you knew he was going to give you his big games, like maybe not every week, but he had those high ceiling games, which we saw a bunch of early last season, right? And like, I think before right. he got hurt, you know, he was like, uh, he was a, he was a RB one, you know, in points per game and fan in total fantasy points. I think he was the RB 10. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now if he ends up getting moved, you know, you got yourself a chance at an RB one on another team. Right, I think there are a bunch of like talk about you know what's the ideal landing spot. There are a bunch of teams you know who Kareem Hunt would step in for as a three down back. (laughs) So like wherever he gets moved, whatever team ends up trading for Kareem Hunt, like most likely he could easily easily end up being ranked in the top twelve. Yeah, I think so. Um, This is exactly the scenario we're looking for as far as the trade goes. But the only and largest obstacle in the way of Kareem Hunt capitalizing on his talent with opportunity is the Browns' front office. And this could be a serious issue for Kareem Hunt and fantasy managers take him, mostly because internal tension between a player and the team they're on almost never results in a substantial workload until they're traded or they come to a match. If you're drafting Kareem Hunt for that upside of an increased workload as a result of a trade, you're probably thrilled to hear that Hunt requested a trade and then just as quickly had your bubble burst when news broke that the Browns said, no, we're not, we're not trading him. Um, I don't like his prospects as much as I did on the Browns. And while and also if Hunt plays with the Browns, I think he actually could have worse opportunity issues than he did even before, like where he was splitting snaps, albeit at almost a 50-50 split with Nick Chubb. I think all this drama is just going to result in Kareem Hunt being exposed as expendable. I mean, I think the Browns were just hanging on to him because they got him for cheap. And, you know, I think Kareem Hunt's realizing that's why he's on the Browns because he's cheap. Um... Until he's traded, I'm sick if I'm a Kareem Hunt owner, which I am. I think <laughs> I think that this is actually trouble unless he gets to another team. And even if he does get to another team, I mean, I'm look, I, I looked around at all the rosters that could need a running back. There's no team that needs a running back. Every team has a solid running back. It's just the workload, like we talk about for fantasy football, that matters. I, I don't see anywhere Kareem Hunt could go where he'd just be like, you know, the RB1, unless the Chiefs decide to just scrap everything they have in the backfield like we just talked about. And then reunite with Kareem Hunt, but I, I just don't see that happening. So for me, I'm kind of I'm kind of rolling in my sleep here. <laughs> all right, I, I'm gonna go through all the teams that I think that he would just instantly be an RB one. All right, let's hear it. All right, you ready? All right, Falcons, Bills. Let's Over see. James Cook. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Easily. Easily. Kareem Hunt's a good talent, man. And James Cook is not an every-down back, right? He, you know, he's not a three-down guy. He's more of a, a pass-catching type of guy. Doesn't really profile well on early downs uh, unless he, you know, gets significantly bigger. But, you know, even even on early downs, he wasn't, you know, this this guy who, who you're really afraid of breaking tackles and that sort of thing. Um, Texans, yeah. right? Uh, he, he would instantly be the RB1 there. Um, just going down the list here. Let's see. Um, Dare we say Dolphins? <laughs> Dolphins, yeah, yeah, he would be. But I mean, I, I, think I, I don't so. think I don't think they I don't think they would do that. Um, no, you, you, you never, they got their know. guy. They got their guy, <laughs> right? They got their guy. Um, but right. yeah, they're, 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 I think they're like the Eagles. I think the Eagles could potentially do, do something. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a there's, there's a few teams, man. Um, Seahawks. Well, the Seahawks wouldn't do something because they have a bunch of backs there, and and Pete Carroll loves to run the ball anyway. They just drafted Walker. Um, Exactly. They just drafted Walker. So, yeah, there are a bunch of teams. The Washington Commanders. I mean, th- there's a bunch of teams that could use his services and, you know, he could instantly be an RB1 for. Um, I don't think any team is going to give up significant draft capital to get Kareem Hunt. But, right. you know, if it becomes a situation where the Browns are just trying to get rid of him because he's unhappy and they don't want to deal with it, it's possible. But the Browns are a weird organization, man. Like they do yeah. funny things, <laughs> and you never know what's going to happen with him. But, uh, but I I don't think it, it's going to affect like his workload. Like while he's on the Browns, I think they're going to use him. Um, and I think Kareem Hunt, hopefully, he understands that. You know, if he does play and he does show out, then maybe teams who have some injuries to their running backs, you know, end up giving the Browns a call and and giving them more compensation that the Browns think they would have gotten for Kareem Hunt otherwise. Right. No, I'm in agreement. I, I think that's definitely possible. But for me, I, I'm just worried about it. Yeah, I just I have a you. feeling. Because Nick <laughs> Chubb is good, you know? He, this he, The Browns have all the leverage great. in the world. They have Nick Chubb already. They have even Dearness Johnson. Like, you know, he was fine yeah. in his time where he, you know, picked up slack when Nick Chubb was injured. So I, they have the leverage right now, and that kind of has me worried. But um, They do. You know. They do. So we were talking about the Eagles, you know, if Kareem Hunt would go to the Eagles. Speaking of the Eagles. Sports Illustrated's John McMullen believes that Kenneth Gainwell is penciled in for high leverage work, quote unquote, including third downs, hurry up offense, and goal line work. So this is yet another report suggesting that Miles Sanders isn't the guy, even though Nick Sirianni has said he is the guy. Is it time to start the hype train up on Kenneth Gainwell? I think he's he's worth one of those late round picks on a running back. Like you know, he's kind of going in that range. Where you're like, well, you know, let me take a shot on this guy because, well, first of all, Miles Sanders told us not to draft him, so we're not going to draft him, right? And, right. and Gain- Gainwell, he quietly saw 50 targets last year, right, in a run-heavy year. And when you look at the Eagles' distribution of targets, like the the they were, I think they were fourth uh, in targets to the running back position in terms of target share. Now, right, like you mentioned, like near the goal line, like I don't see, I don't think he sees goal line carries. Uh, even though he saw some last year, which is amazing. I don't really understand it. But I think he will see some goal line packages, like where they're looking to pass the ball, right? And, and then mm-hmm. the result of those plays will probably just be Jalen Hurts just running it in, right? Uh, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think he can provide some deep PPR value. Like, if we're expecting the offense to be more balanced this year, right, which which I think we are, uh, you know, more pass attempts, I think we should see more of Gainwell on the field. And he was extremely efficient last year as a rookie. If you look at all 24 running backs with at least 50 targets last year, he had the fourth highest rated PFF receiving grade. 
Um, he was also sixth among those 24 running backs in yards per route run. Um, he was also right. ninth among all running backs in fantasy points per touch. Um, and the qualifying running backs are any running backs who played over 25% of snaps. And, and I think he does have a, a bit of a higher ceiling than guys like Naheem Hines or J.D. McKissick because I think there's a possibility that he also sees like 10-plus carries as well as some receiving work, which we kind of saw in a few games last year where he saw more than 10 carries a handful of games. Um, and right. apparently, like you said, you know, he's killing it in camp. Like, we could potentially see some, like, Darren Sproles-like things happening here. Like, and I think of Darren Sproles because of of the Eagles and, 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 and right. what he did for them. Um, but that that's kind of what I, what I envision his ceiling being, right? Like, where he's catching, you know, four to six – he has four to six catches a game, something like that. Um, you know, and then on top of that, maybe 10 carries, right? So yeah, I, I can see there's a world where that happens, and you kind of look at like what the possibilities are, what the range of outcomes are, and I think that's the in the upper range of outcomes there. And I think the lower range of outcomes is kind of what we saw last year, where you know he's getting like five to six carries a game, and then he sees like you know th- there'll be games where he catches seven balls out of nowhere, right? Where he's not yeah. super useful, and he'll likely be on most waiver wires, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know he's going super late. So, you know, I think guys like him who show the efficiency, who's working with the first team, you know, obviously we can't forget that Boston Scott is also part of that, potentially part of that rotation too, right? So this could be a three-man backfield. Right. However, uh, judging by the reps in camp, it looks like uh, it looks like um, Gainwell has the, the – the, he's having the far majority of the pass-catching reps – um, compared to Sanders and compared to Boston Scott, so we know that we know how valuable you know pass catching is when it comes to fantasy, especially in PPR and half PPR formats. So he is somebody right. who you could take a shot on late. I, I think that's one hundred percent true, and yeah. So this report suggests that Miles Sanders isn't the guy. I think we understand that Miles Sanders may not be the guy because he told us. But Kenneth Gainwell, I think, I think, he, I think he's a good target. You know, like you said, I, I'm in agreement. He's coming off the board really late. He could easily return on investment. I mean, if you take him uh, 14th, 15th round, I don't know if he's going that late. You take him at his price right now, you're not going to get hurt. I mean, the Eagles are, or have been, at least in the last few years, notorious for just using all the running backs on the roster in some way. And then, you know, like you said, you have Kenneth Gainwell, Gainwell showing up with seven receptions in one game, and then the next game will get two carries. It's all inconsistent, but... In this type of backfield, that's to be expected. This report, I think, could mean many different things. But I think that the biggest takeaway for me is that Kenneth Gainwell will be a bigger part of the offense than I originally anticipated. I didn't figure that Miles Sanders would be getting a majority of the touches anyway, especially after he told us not to draft him. Hearing this isn't news to me. I think this report says more positive things about Gainwell than it does negative about Sanders. I think it just means that Gainwell is going to have more quality touches, I think, than maybe I thought he was going to. And... You know, Sanders, I wasn't anticipating anything big for. So I think we're yeah, kind of in agreement. Uh, yeah, on and also it's like I'm looking at the ADP right now. On Sleeper, uh, Gainwell is going in at the 14-15 turn. And on ESPN, he's going like pretty much undrafted. So, right. you know, this is a situation where you can get him super, super late depending on your platform. Obviously, he's going higher on underdog. Um, and you know, on, on, on other platforms, but if you plan on those two, one of those two primary platforms you can get him, you know, pretty much with your last pick. 
Right. And, and you can't get hurt. At that point, you're just shooting, no. the, shooting the moon. Exactly. So. <laughs> All right, so J.K. Dobbins, he was removed from the pup list, and he's on track to play with the Ravens in their week one opener. Gus Edwards is not on track, and he's actually considered doubtful for week one. How are we feeling about this backfield? And is Dobbins a legit zero RB target early in the fifth round? This hasn't changed for me, man. Like th- we knew that this was possible that he would be good for week one, but you know, if I had to guess, like like I'm looking at Saquon Barkley for example, right? Last year coming off the ACL, right? If if, you're, if I had to guess between a guy like Saquon Barkley, you know, to be good to go after ACL surgery, and J.K. Dobbins to be good to go after ACL surgery, you know, I would bet on Barkley, right? And that didn't work out right. so well last year, right? And it's a common occurrence with running backs the year after an ACL to not be themselves and also for them to have a higher risk injury, uh, injury risk, you know, for things like soft tissue injuries, et cetera, right? So, and when you look at Dobbins, you know, injury, like he had extra damage to that knee, you know, extra tears besides the ACL, which makes things even more murky. So, right. You know, it's the same old things that I've been saying all offseason, right? Uh, you're probably tired of it by now, but he's not involved in the receiving game. Goal line vultures, potentially, from Lamar and Gus Edwards, mm-hmm. and maybe even Mike Davis. And who knows with this coaching staff? Like, most most coaching staffs in the NFL would never do that, right? right? Like, they would never right. put Mike Davis on the goal line over guys like, you know, J.K. Dobbins. But this coaching staff, like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it over the NFL, uh, over the, the the Ravens coaching staff, you know, on this one. So, uh, I I did bet on Saquon last year because, you know, at least he was involved in the receiving game. Uh, I don't know that mm-hmm. Dobbins will be, and I don't know if they'll release that cap on his workload, you know, or if he'll be on a pitch count. So I'm still out All on right. Dobbins this year, uh, even if he is ready for Week One, uh, even in the fifth round. So uh, just too many good wide receivers going at that spot. Right. In the fifth round, I'm not exactly sure I'd be happy taking him there either. I think that I agree with you. It's just when you look at the talent relative to everybody, it's easy to say, yeah, I don't want to take this guy at this point in the draft because there's so much quality talent. Even going all the way down the board in Kenneth Gainwell's range, like Jacoby Myers is a guy I've been poaching in like the 14th, 15th round, just talking about the relative price of things. But for me, I think he's absolutely a legit zero RB target. Maybe not in the fifth round. But maybe in the sixth round if he's there. I mean, if Damian Pierce and James Cook can be labeled as zero RB targets without playing a true snap in the NFL, then there's really no reason Dobbins can't be. He's on one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league. He's going to have his workload, whether it's a pitch count. A pitch count in the Ravens' offense it could be 15 or 16 carries. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. they, they run the ball you know, at one of the highest rates in the NFL. Edwards is missing time, too, it looks like. So... We'll be Dobbins will be able to start the year and really give us a look at what he can be because I don't think they're going to be putting Mike Davis in too much to kind of spell J.K. Dobbins. I mean, he might get in there for a little early down work. I really hope they don't put him in there for uh, goal line situations, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. I wouldn't want to be targeting guys like Edwards or Mike Davis or really anyone else in the Ravens' backfield as anything other than handcuff guys. Um, but even then, I'm not sure they'd be drafted in the first place. For me, Dobbins is the only rosterable running back on the Ravens as of right now. That could change, obviously, especially if injuries come up, like you said, more prone to soft tissue injuries, that kind of thing. I think Dobbins is a legit zero RB target. I do think he does. Fifth round is a little bit pricey for me, but I think if you get him like late sixth, late sixth round, even the seventh round, then maybe I'd think about, okay, he has a legit chance to return on investment because at that point, 
there's not going to be much more left for you on the board. I mean, Kareem Hunt, I think, is going right in that range, too. Uh, I think they have similar value because J.K. Dobbins has a little bit more security in his workload. But Kareem Hunt might have the higher upside. And I don't want to call Dobbins a safe pick. But if you want to bet on volume, I think it's going to be there for Dobbins. So our next report comes out of the Hall of Fame game. And you said that's a game notoriously known for playing second and third stringers. And sometimes used as a game for rookies to get acclimated to the NFL. So why was Josh Jacobs in there? And does this worry you at all from a usage standpoint going into the regular season? Yeah, uh, it's not a good thing that <laughs> Jacobs was playing in this game early August. Like, it's really not. Uh, this basically means that they don't care about him. <laughs> and this is going to be a rotation <laughs> in this backfield. Like, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, Amir Abdullah, they'll likely be the primary rotation. And this shouldn't surprise you because, you know, as Josh McDaniels coming in, you know, from the Patriots, that's what we've seen. Like, we've seen like right. you know a couple of early down guys and like James White or Brandon Bolden right as a pass catching guy right this is very similar they brought these guys in for a reason um you know i still think Jacobs will be the primary goal line guy so he's going to have his weeks possibly even some multi touchdown weeks as we've seen with early down guys on the patriots too uh but i don't expect him to see 20 carries too many times this year uh unless someone like Kenyon Drake gets hurt right um so the question is, does this worry you at all from a user standpoint going into regular season? Well, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, so this is right on key for the Raiders, if you ask me. I don't have a problem with Jacobs playing in the Hall of Fame game. He didn't get injured, really, so that's all that matters. We can sit here and speculate all we want about why he played. Maybe the Raiders wanted to give people a reason to tune in to a preseason game, and running back is one of the more expendable positions in the league, so they let one big-name player get, time, get the time in to draw some ratings. But that's just speculation. At the end of the day, we'll never know for sure. That being said, it's not like I expected Jacobs to be the clear one out of the Raiders' backfield anyway, like we said, especially with Josh McDaniels coming to town. It's going to be a committee anyway. So his ceiling really isn't that high to begin with. It wasn't, and this is just kind of you know the last nail in the coffin. It's obviously not going to be the Josh Jacobs show this year or anytime soon. I'm not worried about his usage because his usage that I'm projecting is pretty minimal, at least compared to other running backs like that we're talking about. Even I'm looking at like an Antonio Gibson-esque kind of workload for him, but um, I think I think Josh Jacobs is maybe not as good in the pass game as Gibson, but we'll see. I'm not worried about his usage. I expect it to be on par with what we saw last year. I think it's more of the same. I was never a fan of Josh Jacobs to begin with, and I think that he's actually going a little high in fantasy drafts at his ADP right now. Yeah, and and I forgot to mention Zemir White. Like Zemir White's there. Yeah, too. no, so he looked like, good. Yeah, he did look good. You know, he was catching passes too. Um, and then on top of that, so it's like, what is the upside for for Jacobs, right? Like he's going to have Kenyon Drake there. He's going to have Zamir White there, guys who can easily, you know, be part of that that early down rotation. Um, Zamir White probably profiles more as a better runner than, than Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake probably profiles more as a better receiver. So, like, yeah, th- these roles are all, you know, intertwined, and I, I don't see a huge, you know, year for Josh Jacobs, unfortunately. I mean, the Raiders showed their hand what they want to do with him, right? They didn't pick up that fifth-year option. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you don't – for a first-round running back, you've got other guys. It makes sense. It was a good move. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business. I mean, Josh Jacobs was never, you know, a big fantasy guy. So, I I wasn't expecting anything more of him this year. Right. 
Uh, our last for the rapid recap, ESPN's Nick Wagner writes that Elijah Mitchell continues to look like the clear-cut number one option at running back, quote-unquote. Are we going to discuss this on every podcast? It seems like the views are changing on this backfield every week. Did anything change for you since the last time we spoke about this after hearing this report? So, I've ha- I have heard some updates from camp, and, and I've been getting updates from my guy Jason Aponte, who has been at camp, and 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 every day for him, you know, it, it's he, and he's not an Elijah Mitchell stand by any means, but he calls it like he sees it, and he did say that Mitchell now seems to be the guy. Okay, he said that mm-hmm. Tyrion Davis Price isn't looking good. Uh, he doesn't seem to be too involved, you know, with the first team. He said that Trey Sermon looks like the second best back behind Mitchell right now. Uh, and Jeff Wilson also, you know, isn't looking that great. So even though Jeff Wilson is showing up as the RB2 on the depth chart. So right. I've been saying that I was avoiding Mitchell. But listen, if this continues, and, and you you were kind of on board with this t- to begin with, but it, it, it seems to, to him like Mitchell will get the goal line work and was even yeah. on the field for third down situations and, be, and can be in line to be more involved in the receiving game this year too. So, you know, this wasn't the case at the beginning of camp, but but is now starting to look more and more like Elijah Mitchell's backfield once again. So Mitchell might yeah. be back as a legit zero, zero RB candidate as he was for you the entire time. And, and I might have to take an L on Mitchell, you know, based on how he's looking in camp and what his role is actually shaping up to be. Right. I'll let you take that out. You know, I'll take it. I'll let you be humble here. But um, <laughs> I figured Elijah Mitchell would be the clear-cut number one option. I mean, you know, they took Terry and Davis Bryce. They have Trey Sermon. But we saw Trey Sermon last year. There was some hype around him right around this time last year, and it just fizzled out. I, I don't think he's any type of long-term answer on the 49ers. But Elijah Mitchell is a clear-cut number one option. When that clear-cut number one option is on offense with plenty of other weapons, it's really easy to kind of get you know, caught up and be like, okay, well, if this guy's in a committee, if there's someone behind him like TDP, you know, maybe he might not get the workload we want him to. It's easy to get caught up in that. But at the end of the day, we knew that Elijah Mitchell was the best running back in the backfield as far as talent goes. We know what the Niners offense is going to look like. We know he's dealt with injuries a little bit, but I don't have a question about his talent, and that's what I'm betting on if I'm going zero running back. Um, I would have been shocked to hear anything besides that Elijah Mitchell is the clear number one. Uh, his situation is sure to be in flux all year, I think, especially just because it's the 49ers. Um, but I think that volatility is actually what's keeping his price low and making him a target. Yeah. I, and, you know, initially I'm like, all right, well, TDP is a big back, right? Uh, and he will potentially take those goal line carries away from Elijah Mitchell. But as of right now, does that does not seem to be the case. Can that change as camp progresses? Maybe. Um, but it doesn't seem to be the case right now. It seems like Elijah Mitchell is the one – on the field during those packages when they're doing goal line red zone stuff. So listen, like as of right now, it seems like Elijah Mitchell might have a stranglehold on more roles than I thought he was going to have this year. Right. Absolutely. 